The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. For listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. On this week's edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, we both have great opening takes as we discuss certain issues in American soccer. The MLS Cup playoffs are heating up and getting to their final stages. Houston and Seattle have finished their first leg, and so have Toronto and Columbus. We discuss the Houston and Seattle first match, and we also bring in two special guests to discuss Toronto and Columbus's from both their respective sides. All this on this week's episode of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Oh, hello. Hope you guys had a fantastic Thanksgiving. It's Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. Stephen Jodrin, Armonica Fai. This is short in edition. Focus on MLS and our opening takes. We've got some fantastic guests coming on. We're going to discuss, we'll have a heavy focus on Columbus and Toronto because last episode was a heavy focus on Houston and Seattle. So we're going to return the favor. Uh, Armand, how's it going? Have a good Thanksgiving. Yeah, I had a great Thanksgiving, and now it's uh, preparation for the end of the semester, finals, yes. all that good stuff. I mean, that's part of the reason why we're having a short episode as well. We both have to focus on our studies and become really studious. Yes. But, um, <laughs> but hey, big big week in MLS. I'm still going to be watching. We're still both going to be watching. We're still going to talk about it. we got a show just for you guys out. Yes, absolutely. All right, Armand, uh, opening takes. I'm going to defer to you. What's your opening take? Well, I told you it was going to be a surprise, and yes. Stephen knows, and a lot of people, have, I've told a lot of people recently, I've been really delving deep into American soccer history. I recently purchased a Dallas Tornado jersey, actually, from the oh, 70s. That yeah. Fantastic. Looks it's, it's awesome. Pretty, it's beautiful. I'm going to wear it, and maybe listeners will see it one day. But my opening take was actually kind of an allusion to our past. We're seeing teams such as the San Francisco Deltas and FC Edmonton not being able to continue for the upcoming NASL season. And it looks like Miami FC is also on the verge of potentially falling. And the Cosmos have been struggling. The uh, North Carolina FC have left uh, the NASL. And many people are like, well, this is what you get, NASL. This is what you get for trying to be different than MLS. And that's essentially the message of what they're saying. Um, I mean, to look at it, basically, you have <clears throat> excuse me, the MLS as a league with lots of league intervention and you have the NASL with almost no league intervention. My take is honestly, we shouldn't be cheering on the 
the downfall of these lower leagues. As as we've seen before, these lower leagues are what is going to help America grow in the soccer world. We need these lower teams, these towns to support these teams and whatnot. I can even allude to more. We've seen the Rochester Rhinos. We're seeing them not able to pay their bills, and we're seeing them falling apart. The only team that's ever won a U.S. Open Cup that's not MLS side since their induction into the uh, competition. We're seeing all these teams falling apart and folding and yet we're wondering, is promotion relegation still viable? We, It's kind of hard to say when these teams, we have teams just folding left and right. Let's go to new, let's go to the Cosmos. They're barely, barely afloat. So we shouldn't be championing the loss of the NASL if Agreed. it is to happen. We shouldn't. We need, we need the NASL to grow and become better than ever. I do not like this attitude that I've been seeing on message boards. I've been seeing on Twitter, this is what you get, NASL, this is what you get. No, that, I think that's wrong. I think the Deltas had a really bad mindset, and Edmonton can never really attract uh, their their market. And then you have Miami, who's done everything, I'd say, right by investing in infrastructure, by grabbing big-name players. They played so much. They paid, I want to say, $750,000 for Kwandu Poku. They've brought in Nesta as their coach. Well, he's gone now. <laughs> they've 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 done they've done so many things right, and now they want to, they're gone. Is that their fault? It's 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 something that it's it's very anti-competition. If that makes any sense, from an and from an economic side, competition is what makes things thrive. So what we shouldn't be cha- we shouldn't be cheering on these teams failing. We should be attempting to figure out ways to help them back up and help them become a stronger league. And then you might have the infrastructure to create a promotional relegation, maybe between the USL and NASL or whatnot, or something. Maybe I really hope the USL says, hey, NASL teams, you want to join our league? Come along. If the teams want to go, they can. If they don't, then they fold. That's, I don't like this mentality of, oh, yeah, NASL, you, you tried doing you know this thing without a salary cap or anything, and, well, guess what? <laughs> You're gone now. I don't like, I don't like that mentality. I, I think it needs to change in order for soccer to uh, become really – that's kind of a rant, I guess. Uh, wow. To become, that was a mouthful. Fantastic. become really popular, I guess. Yeah, I mean too much soccer history in my mind right now. Armand has gone into the deep ends. No, um, Armand brings an important part, uh, aspect and an important point is we got to – we cannot – I don't know. Yeah, what's the point of appraising – clubs going under are we not are people not complaining that you know mls is single entity especially the promotion relegation people they should be absolutely horrified that clubs are going under because if these clubs are going bye-bye how are you going to have a promotion relegation system are you just going to be stuck with usl and mls no you want that nasl you want these multiple division and you want history i mean the new york cosmos one of the most famous clubs in American soccer. And people don't realize that how prominent the Cosmos were when they had Pele, Beckenbauer, all the all all, all these names. And I mean, like I, like Steven said, I've kind of gone in the deep end with the U.S. soccer history. But look at the Cosmos matches and how they attra- they attracted the audience of New York. A lot Rochester. It's a team that well, we're hoping to potentially do an upcoming project on them. Was a team that had MLS ambition, built a stadium, but couldn't get the MLS bid, and now here we are. They're about to fold. 
it's 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 a really disheartening thing to see, and my heart goes out to those teams, such as uh, supporters of those teams of the Deltas, of Miami, of Rochester potentially, of Edmonton, because I don't think any team should have to go through a potential folding, um, unless unless it's they need to, such as what MLS had to sadly do in. I want to say 2001 with the Tampa Bay Mutiny and Miami Fusion and Chivas USA, especially yeah. with with that that absolute mess. But if it's inevitable, it, it has to happen. But my heart goes out to those fans, and um, we really, I really hope that they'll one day these markets will be sustainable, and uh, maybe we maybe we'll see the reemergence of the NASL, mm. a league with so much history that was basically one of the founding leagues in uh of soccer yes as we know it today well armand's got a fantastic opening take tweet us at unc sam soccer pod uh for my opening take we're gonna shift to what's going on right now michael bradley who i have bashed for quite some time everything literally everything and then he opens michael bradley michael bradley breathes steven has something to complain about yes and, and then last week, he opened his mouth. On one hand, you feel for the small group of loyal supporters that they have who have been here since the beginning, who continue to support the team and come out each, come out week after week. Speaking of the Columbus crew, hashtag save the crew. On the other hand, you can't deny the fact that things here have fallen behind in terms of atmosphere in the stadium, the quality of the stadium, and what's it like to play here. I don't know who's at fault for that. From what I gather, there's a lot going on, and I get that. As an outsider, I don't know what that falls on. But again, the reality is just that. As the league has continued to grow and grow, and this is not the only one, but this is the one of a few markets that have not kept up pace. Wow. Fantastic. I, I, I love this. A moment of, of, of truthfulness, the moment that you realize these players are not blind to what's going on. In fact, I think they get pissed when, when, the, when, when they put their heart and soul and they, you walk out to a stadium that has only seven, twelve thousand 12,000 people. You know, the seven is a, is a quite small number and it's not realistic. <laughs> That's too small. Too small. But even when you, when you walk out at, when there's only 15,000 or you can feel the emptiness or see the emptiness of the crowd, you got to begin to wonder, and go, what am I doing? Michael Bradley's speaking that. And this is a problem not across. This is a problem with all the original teams, Chicago, Dallas, Colorado, New England. You're having a real issue with, with, with stadiums and, and fans and just putting butts in the seats and when the captain of the United States men's national team comes out and says something, you've got an issue. You really do. Um, the thing I like is a lot of people dislike Bradley for what he said because obviously it is very anti-hashtag save the crew. Yep. But he's not wrong. And, we, and we're not just saying it's just the crew. Colorado, Dallas. You listed a couple others, even Philadelphia, one of the newer markets. Yep, is New struggling. England. It's 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 something that we need to look at, and I think, as I said, I want to say last episode, we need to move towards helping these original sides. I think these original sides Especially are set at disadvantage. Field. They're absolutely they're set at disadvantage, and 
at the disadvantage, what, what do you want to do? It's it's hurting the league mm-hmm. uh, in some in some aspects, and the league has to look up and say either step up or we'll do something about it. Make make it something else i mean also part of it i think has to do as as an economics major this is my natural tendency but maybe even a lack of competition when it comes to i feel like fc dallas is like okay well we're like the last fiddle in the whole thing so we don't really need to you know compete well, same with, with like, colorado exactly same with, same with the crafts with new england eh, we're not going under what's the point yeah we're we're not the top we're not the top dogs in the area we're never going to be so. Let's just be who we are, yeah. and just try to attract these. I mean, that's that. That's my thought process. I mean, in 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 Seattle, I mean, you do have they have opportunity to be a top dog. In Orlando, they are basically they are virtually the top dog. Um, in Atlanta, you could say that Atlanta United is the top dog. But I mean, I think these teams have been. I mean, look, the Dallas Tornadoes used to play in. Uh, the in Texas Stadium, they get eighteen twenty thousand. That was in Irving, and to tell me that this on a completely side note, Steve, I'm I'm, I'm going to sidetrack. <laughs> I might derail your thing. The location of Toyota Stadium is a very minor issue in my opinion because once because I mean Irving isn't Dallas. I mean it's kind of Dallas, but not really. I mean, I don't know. Well, but back to I can give you. To, well, I can give you three examples where where the clubs don't play. Colorado plays in, in Commerce City, that is outside of Denver. Crafts, uh, Craft and New England Revolution are in Foxborough. That's okay, outside but of how Boston. much do they how much do they attract for the Patriots? Yeah, well, you could say the same thing with the Cowboys. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think location should be an issue. I do think locations are issues. I I I don't think so. Because, like you mentioned, because I'm actually going to take this from uh, Peter Welton's article on thirddegree.net, the Rosario Red 4, I uh, recently reemerged. When you realize that Atlanta United's county is smaller than the county Frisco is in, Collin County, yeah. I think that says something. Well, I think no, no, there, no, is, okay. there is something there. Yeah, but Atlanta United has done a brilliant job marketing some. Where in Dallas or where in Colorado or where do I – I've never seen any of yeah, that. But that's what I'm saying. That's The issue isn't the location. It's a tiny do, part well, of the issue. Well, it's a but tiny – I think, yeah, the, okay, I think the marketing okay. is a lot more – you see what I'm saying? No, yeah. It's I'm a tiny issue, but it, it, it's it's something that we can definitely go further into the offseason. Um, up next, we're going to talk – I derailed you. <laughs> you. You did derail me. Uh, we're we're going to talk about Toronto FC and uh, the Columbus Crew playoffs. Here we go. Playoffs. All right, listeners, we got a special announcement. Right now, joining us is Steve Gennaro. He is the director of All In Sports Network. Talks about Toronto FC quite a bit. How's it going, Steve? Everything's going great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about All In Sports Network because we recently joined. Uh, just tell the listeners where we can find the network and just a little bit about it. Sure, yeah. You know, All In Sports Talk, uh, you can find it at, you know, basically allinsportstalk.com where we stream live uh, 24-7. 
um, Soccer Talk Radio, basically. We've gone out, we've assembled what we think are some of the best soccer podcasts in North America, primarily, uh, usually based in the United States, because that's where over 70% of our listeners are. And we just, you know, you can find it all on sportstalk.com. You can go Google Play or Apple uh, App Store and download our free app. And anytime you want, with just the press of one button, you can be listening to, you know, some of, uh, like we said, the best soccer podcasts out there, 24-7 Soccer Talk. Oh, fantastic. Well, we are so glad to be joining up, so we're excited to see where it takes us. Um, but let's talk about on the field. We got Toronto hosting Columbus in a massive game Wednesday night, 7.30 Eastern time. Uh, if you're in the U.S., you can find it on Fox Sports 1. Toronto is favored. You're getting Sebastian Giovinco, Josie Altidore back in the starting 11. How is this going to affect you know, going forward in the attack, and what do you expect Toronto – to, to push for a goal, or are they going to sit back and kind of take it easy? I'd, I'd be pretty surprised if they sat back, to tell you the truth. Uh, they sat back in Columbus. They set up as a 4-1-4-1, which is a formation we've never seen them play before. In three years under Greg Vanny, they've never played that formation. And they did that largely because their primary goal was not to concede on the road against Columbus. We saw Columbus... Um, you know, sort of egg Atlanta into opening up against them, and they, you know, they advanced against them in the knockout round. We saw Columbus egg New York City into opening up against them in the away leg, uh, where New York City conceded four goals to Columbus in Columbus and put themselves in a very deep and dark place. And so Toronto went to Columbus with no Josie out the door, with no Sebastian Javinko, played a very basic formation, a very defensive-minded formation, with just a lone striker to St. Ricketts up top, very little service to him. In fact, they didn't even have a shot on target the entire match. <laughs> And they, you know, now they come back, and, and I, I think they're happy with that. But I'd be very surprised if that's their mentality in, in, this, in this match here because at BMO Field this year, we've seen Toronto FC really play on the front foot. And given the fact that if Columbus score one goal, the only scenario by which Toronto FC can advance is by winning the match itself. I don't expect them to sit in or to let Columbus have the ball. I would, I would be very surprised. Instead, I expect Toronto to really be the aggressor and to look to get the first goal, an early goal, and to score multiple goals. We saw them on several occasions, and I actually mean several, not just as in more than two or three. I mean actually several occasions this season at home. They scored uh, more than two goals. So uh, look for Toronto FC really to, to come out flying and to try and put the game away early uh, as, as quickly as possible. Yeah, that that I I can see that as well. And actually, uh, Steve, I know Stephen, you remember. I actually said that they would come out in the uh, four a four back line. But do you see Greg mm. Vanny reverting back uh, to his three five two because he has he's, he's healthy now. His team is full strength. Was that was that four one four one just there for uh, just because of the absences that they had within the roster? Yeah, I think so. I would I would be surprised if they if they didn't play three five two for the, for this match. I think they wanted the extra body in the midfield. Uh, it, it, they like they liked what they had against. Columbus. They wanted to sit um, with Michael Bradley as one holder in front of the back four. And they actually, the, the extra midfielder that they added in Columbus was uh, Nico Hassler, who is the, uh, from Liechtenstein, international right. player, mm-hmm. uh, who is actually a, a wing back for this team. So he played his first minutes actually in the midfield. He hadn't played a single minute in the midfield for this club all, all season. So that's the first time we saw him in that role in Columbus. This team is best in, in, in under Greg Vanny when they play 3 5 2. All their bodies are healthy. Uh, I would be very surprised if you didn't see them come out and play their best 11. And that best 11 is uh, exactly like we talked about, three center backs with Drew Moore, Mavinga on the left side, very likely Eric Zavaleta on the right side, the wing backs of Moro and Betashore. Uh, and then your midfield will be Delgado with Michael Bradley, Victor Vasquez. And then up top, you'll see Jovinko and, and Josie Altidore. Steve, do you think Columbus could really, you know, 
score early because we saw them going to Atlanta into a hostile environment. You know, the first time Atlanta has hosted a, a, a playoff game. They sent that to PK. Stefan stood on his head. They went through. Then they take took care of NYCFC. Um, could they, uh, you know, do you feel, do you think they could do something against this uh, Toronto, historic Toronto side? Sure, of course. When, anytime you get in yourself in a situation where you're playing 90 minutes and winter advances, anything can happen. You could have a red card, a guy can slip and fall. Uh, you know, you could have a, a, a pen awarded or a PK awarded. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, Someone who's very important to your team early, like one of your center backs, could get, could get a yellow, and all of a sudden they have to be a little more hesitant. Um, you know, there, there, a million things can happen. We saw Montreal come into Toronto late in the season and put five goals past this TFC. Right. We've seen them have a, a bad night at home. Toronto FC against New York Red Bulls, even in the last round, in, in, in the home match, I mean, of course they had two goals called back for very strange and bizarre circumstances, but that can still happen, and they conceded a goal off a deflection. I mean, anything can happen in 90 minutes. Plus, as you said, you know, it's not like Columbus is a bad team. They're one of the hottest teams in MLS you know, since, the, since basically August 1st. And we, as you mentioned, they handled Atlanta, they handled New York City very Bizarre circumstances, you know, everything went perfect for Columbus for that to happen, but who's to say it can't happen for 90 more minutes? There, uh, you know, we, I could see a situation where Columbus gets an early goal, Kamara, let's say, finds a, a little bit of space and gets in behind the back line, and before you know it, they're up one, no, one nothing, and now they just sit back, and then Toronto really has to open up. Uh, however, I, I think if you said, if, if you were a betting person, how would you bet this game? I think even the neutral would, would put their money down on Toronto FC to win, but in 90 minutes, anything can happen, and because... Mm-hmm. Because Columbus didn't concede the away goal to Toronto FC, you know if they can find find a way to get a goal anyway, anyhow in these ninety minutes, it will really stand this uh, this tie up on its head very very quickly. No, absolutely. But the advantage that Toronto has going into this that they're playing at BMO Field, and me and Stephen talk about it all the time how we love the atmosphere at BMO and we love just the home field advantage. It almost seems like that they have um, at at that stadium. You've been there. How hard is it when BMO is at its full capacity for an opponent to come in and uh, uh, play their game without being rattled? Yeah, I would say it's it's a pretty cool place to be when it's jumping, and it's usually jumping. There'll be 30,000 there on Wednesday. The weather won't actually be that bad. It'll be around 35 Fahrenheit at kickoff, and so it'll be just a little bit above a, a little bit above freezing. And that kind of suits the team pretty well. They're happy with that. You, the, the, it'll be loud. Um, you talk about the crowd picking up the team last year in the Eastern Conference final against Montreal. Mm-hmm. Toronto came back uh, down a goal, but having two away goals, and they gave up a very early goal right away um, to Montreal. So Montreal immediately you know, got on the front foot, and we saw Toronto come back after the 75th minute and score two important goals to actually push themselves through the finals, and the place was jumping and happening. You talk to Michael Bradley, you talk to any of the players and any of the coaches, and they'll tell you there is something magical in the air at BMO Field. The supporters are really some of the best that you see. It will be loud. But I was in Columbus last week. I was at the Columbus match, and it was loud there. The Columbus supporters, you know, full credit to them. I thought that they were, you know, they were into the game. They were very loud, uh, and they were right behind their team. I was with Toronto when they traveled to Atlanta for the final game of the season when they set the single-season uh, points record. And that Atlanta crowd, was they were loud, and they were jumping, and they were happening. So I, I feel like the, 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 game, the MLS game is changing and that a lot of these stadiums are really generating some really solid home, home field advantage. And while I'd like to say that Toronto has an advantage playing at BMO, um, I think the real advantage of being the home seed is that you have the opportunity to play the, the, the first leg away, nick an away goal, and then come back with that in your back pocket. Toronto didn't get that on the road. And so 
if you said to me in January, I know coming into the season, Toronto FC would get to play the final week in November at home, 90 minutes at BMO, win, and they move to the finals, I think anyone would have taken that, including the players for Toronto FC, and that's where they are right now. But as far as like a real home field advantage, I think not getting the goal in Columbus probably negates that a little bit. Got a, a final question here, and it's a two-part question. What pressure is on Toronto? And uh, I don't know if you had any comments on the Bradley comments that he made after uh, last week's game in Columbus about, I guess, the hashtag Save the Crew movement. So uh, let's talk about the Bradley one first. So I was there. I was standing right there uh, next to Michael Bradley when the question was asked. And I think that a lot of the commentary on it that's coming from people are people who don't talk to Michael Bradley. I talk to him basically every single week covering the team. And I think a lot of it's sort of being blown out of proportion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think his comments were very fair. They were, first of all, I think they were very honest, and I think they were very fair. Yeah. I, I, ra- I raised my eyebrows when he said them because I was surprised because Michael is usually, if you've ever seen him in interviews or spoke to him, he's very, I don't want to say guarded, but he's very, you know, um, uh, precise about what he says. He measures each statement in his head, I think, before he says it out loud. And so when he when he offered that much information about Save the Crew, I was quite surprised to hear him be so honest about it. But I thought his point was actually quite fair, and that is that there's a, a, a series of um, circumstances here that have created this situation. It's not he, uh, he didn't say that pre-court's not to blame or that the fans are to blame or that Columbus is to blame. He said none of that at all. He actually said, I'm not there. I'm not here in Columbus, so I don't know what the whole situation is, so I can't comment on who's to blame. But, what he, but he also furthered that by saying, but let's be honest, like the stadium in Columbus is not up to like where it needs to be with the other stadiums around the league and where the league is going. And so Columbus as a whole, so whether that's the supporters, whether that's the ownership, whether that's the city and the city council as a whole needs to come together and they need to basically come into 2018 if Save the Crew is actually going to be the proper movement that it needs to be. And he said he felt bad for the supporters and he said he, no, no supporter ever deserves to lose their team. But at the same time, Columbus needs to... You know, it was the first franchise, but now we're at 2018, you know, going into 2018, and the league is different than it was before. Yeah, in Columbus. Right, absolutely. Columbus needs to keep up with it. Those were the comments that he made. Now, Michael Bradley right now, everybody wants to throw daggers at Michael Bradley. <laughs> 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 Including so me. I was yeah, on that so they're, boat. They're, ha- they're happy to find all the ammunition that they, that they can get to, to, to really make it a bigger deal than it really is. I, I, I thought, it's, like I said, I thought they were very honest. I thought they were very fair. And I also think it's right. a lot of it's being blown out of proportion. I think if that wasn't Michael Bradley, if that was you know, any other player on the men's national team uh, other than Michael or Josie, I think it, it would have been pushed aside. I think if it was any other Toronto FC player, it nothing more would have been made of the comments. I think more of it has to do with Bradley than the, than the comments themselves. Uh, as as for the pressure on the team itself, I mean the the pressure comes from them. You know they they themselves have said over and over all season long that their goal is to to win the MLS Cup, and that if they don't win the MLS Cup, not that none of it else, not, not, none, none of the rest of it matters, but it just won't be the same. They were there last year. You know they had that game against mm. Seattle where they, where they wanted it. They felt like they were the better team across 120 minutes. They didn't concede a shot on target across 120 <laughs> minutes. And then they get to the penalty kicks. You know, Michael Bradley misses a pen. Justin Morrow misses a pen. And, and, and before you know it, it's, it's all gone and the moment is lost. They focused this season from the very beginning on being the best team on the pitch every time they step on the pitch for 90 minutes. They wanted to win the Voyagers Cup, which is the same as the U.S. Open uh, Cup, but in Canada, and they won that. They wanted to win the Supporters' Shield, and they won that. They wanted to set the MLS points record, and they've won that. But, I mean, I spoke to Josie uh, a couple weeks ago, just one-on-one, and he said, you know, really, you know, quite simply, you know, if we were in Europe, 
we would have already met all of our goals because the goal is to win it across the season. But in America, in North America and Canada, the, the, the winner is who holds the MLS Cup at the end of the playoff. And for them, that is the only thing that matters. So uh, is there pressure from the city? I don't, I don't really think so. I think people you know, want to see them win. We're passionate about it. They're deeply invested in it. Uh, but you know, they were there last year and they lost it. The real pressure right now is coming from within that dressing room because you know, I, I, I don't think that they can handle you know, not winning it in back-to-back years, getting that close, being this good, pushing this hard for this long, and then falling short again. I think that that would have a really, uh, you know, sour, sour taste. And maybe I, I don't think they blow up this team if they win. But I think if they if they lose again, you might see some some bigger moves that that people wouldn't expect. Oh, interesting. That that that's really interesting to hear. Now, Steve, on the show, we do something a little shameless plug, so you can plug away all your work, where we can find all your stuff, and where we can find. Uh, all the things you write and your Twitter even as well. Oh, thanks guys. So my Twitter is at underscore S Gennaro, G-E-N-N-A-R-O, uh, or at All in Sports Talk, which is, you know, the, the main thing to plug. I do a show every single week, TFC Talk, and that airs on All in Sports Talk, uh, you know, because I cover the team here, you know, sort of day in and day out. Right. But most- but most of my work is audio and it all happens through all in sports talk where again you know just like your show has now come on board so welcome uh, in addition to really dozens of other great shows you know our focus is on growing the game in the united states in the american soccer market and the u.s soccer market which has been a little more difficult than the aftermath of trinidad right yeah <laughs> it's been, it's uh, been a, a, oh, a lot a, a, a lot of really uh, angry american soccer mm. fans and part of that, is, uh, the, the initial response has been really sort of to push away from U.S. soccer, but hopeful that there'll be a change at, at the top. Hopefully, Galati doesn't get re, uh, you know reelected in the spring. Hopefully, we see new leadership for for uh, you know American soccer going forward, and we continue to see the growth that we've seen uh, over the last you know eight years, especially uh, as far as listeners and followers of, of the game itself. And we see the grassroots continue to grow, and we see the men's program develop the way that it that that it should. But you know, a lot of things have to happen for that. But if you want, if you're interested. In that American soccer, MLS soccer, even EPL or Italian soccer or, or Spanish soccer, French soccer, but from a North American perspective, because you want to hear it from people who see it a little bit the same way you do, if you know for, who are from where you're from, yeah. check it all stock.com because that's that's kind of what we do. Fantastic. Well, talk to you uh, soon, Steve. Thanks again. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Joining us to go the Columbus side of things is our man Andrew Erickson from the Columbus Dispatch. Andrew, how you doing tonight? Doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Andrew. Uh, last time we spoke was Decision Day. But uh, Columbus last week hosted Toronto to a scoreless draw, head into leg two. Uh, what's the mentality of the, of the squad? Talking to a, a few players after the game, they mentioned that that was an acceptable result for them. So I don't think they were too dejected about it, but I don't think they were thrilled either. I think the fact that they didn't give up an away goal is is pretty key. Uh, they did that e- even when they had the 4-1 victory in the first leg against NYCFC. There was still some concern on their end because they gave up that away goal, and it created some interesting scenarios. But now they go into Toronto thinking that if they can get an early goal, um, it completely changes the complexion of the series. Now, that's way easier said than done uh, when you're talking about a team that gave up the second-fewest goals in MLS this season in Toronto, but... Um, if they can find a way to break down that defense and, and get an early goal um, or even get a goal to tie at 1-1, I think they feel like they're in pretty good shape. So, um, you know, obviously when you're playing at home in front of a sold-out crowd, to not get 
um, a goal and, and you know, mm. knowing that in the last home playoff game they had four, um, I think there's a sense of disappointment there. But um, I, I think at the end of the day, they're not necessarily in panic mode. No, absolutely. And that crowd, Andrew, me and Steven saw it from afar, but how was that crowd? I mean, they, the, the community has rallied around the crew, especially ever since Anthony Precourt has announced his potential intentions to move the team. So how was how, how was that crowd? It, it was a perfectly, uh, I guess, I guess they had enough time to uh, figure out if they wanted to go to the game or not. So uh, what was the atmosphere like in that map free stadium? Yeah, it, it was, you know, 21,000 plus to sell out um, easily the best crowd I've seen since I've been on the beat, you know, and that's been about 11 and a half months. So, um, you know, certainly if, if you're the fan base and you're hoping to show that there's pride in this team and, and you want to create that home atmosphere um, for our team in the playoffs, I think this was it. People were loud, um, chanting throughout the game, and I think yeah. gave the team a bit of a lift. Um, you know, I'm sure some disappointment, you know, like like there was for the players, some disappointment from the fans uh, that the, the team was not able to get a goal. But I think this uh, was intimidating and, and was – uh, MLS playoff esque, so I think I think they did what they set out to do in that sense. Now on the field, Toronto will be getting Altidore and Giovinco back. How will how do you expect Columbus to set up to to deal with you know those two coming back? You know I don't expect their formation to change at all. I think their awareness is heightened. Obviously in the box, you have guys like um, Giovinco and Altidore that are a little bit more technically sound and can combine a little bit more in the box. Um, with a guy like Ricketts this past game, I think the concern would have been, you know, a, a long ball getting over their head and, and, and Ricketts with his speed and, and jumping ability, um, either running past the back line for a goal um, or, or jumping up to head and across for a goal. So I think the concerns are slightly different. Um, that being said, you know, when you bring a guy like Giovinco in, um, you, you have to have your your awareness heightened just on, on free kicks and and mm. set pieces because he's so he's so skilled in that, and because you know, frankly, if he doesn't make that free kick against the Red Bulls, um, you know, the Crew SC might be playing the New York Red Bulls right now. So yeah. you, you constantly have to be aware of things like that, and I'm not sure there's any way to prepare for it just because he's so unique in his ability there. But certainly, watching film, that's something they'll have to be aware of going into this second leg. And we do know that the Crew will be missing Artur. Uh, their uh, their midfielder and we know Abu is kind of a like kind of a like for like switch but is a loss of Artur big for the crew going into this second leg oh absolutely just because when you look at Artur and I think Artur has been an underrated player for them all season absolutely when you look at his ground cover when you look at his ability box to box um, just his intelligence for a 21 year old kid making fouls in the right situations like if you go back and watch the play where he fouled Bradley and got that yellow card, I mean, maybe he's a little bit overly aggressive on that play, but if he misses or if he lets Bradley go by him, um, it's a three-on-two attack and maybe Toronto's best chance of the entire game. So I, I think his awareness to, to see that play unfolding and to recognize where the rest of his team is 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 key and, and something Kruessi will absolutely miss. That's not to say that Muhammad Abu hasn't played in big games. I wrote in the paper a couple days ago that you know, he remembered playing in a Europa League qualifier at Atletico Madrid. So it's a guy that's played in some big games in his career, and yeah. I don't think he'll be worried or nervous about the moment. But um, just in terms of, of technical ability and execution, I think Arthur's a guy you'd like to have on the field. 
Now, Columbus will be, I, I guess, heavily underdogs, but they've kind of been like this, uh, been this the entire postseason, first off in Atlanta, then NYCFC. Do you think it suits them to be this underdog, especially going to a hostile, hostile environment like BMO Field? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And, and you know, Justin Merriman, I have kind of a running joke where every, every week I'll, I'll tell him the soccer power index percentage chance that they have to advance and it'll be like you know i think this week it's 35 percent and his response is usually always oh i, I thought it was going to be even lower than that so <laughs> um you know, i think they're aware of this role and i'm sure there are a few of them that it, it bothers them in some senses they sure. feel like they felt like going into the playoffs with you know they were 10 unbeaten at the time and carried that streak to 12 that they were one of the best teams in the league and i think didn't necessarily get the recognition there so you know, I'm, I'm sure there was a, a little bit of saltiness about that, and, and rightfully so. And, and I think they're still out to prove at this point that you know they're among those contenders, even even though they're one of the last two teams standing. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, and we did see Michael Bradley make some comments that did upset the hashtag Save the Crew movement. We also did see a potential stadium plan pitch that was retracted and said as more of just like a pipe dream. What what's the update on the hashtag Save the Crew uh, situation, and what was the community's response to uh, what Michael Bradley had said uh, in this post game press conference? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think in full context and, and in, in fairness to Michael Bradley, um, what he said came after a match where he was booed on every single touch. Um, so I'm sure, even if you're a guy who's who's pretty thick skinned, that's that's going to bother you a little bit. Um, and so somebody asked him after the game what he felt about. Um, the situation, and, and he gave what he felt was an honest answer. Obviously, that didn't didn't sit well with the fans. And um, I asked Greg Burhalter about it the next day, and he said, you know, everybody has their opinions, and we don't necessarily have to agree with it, but he's certainly entitled to his opinion. And I asked Will Trapp if this was something that could potentially be bulletin board material for the crew, and he said could be. Um, so I, I'm sure I'm sure that quote and and that statement for michael bradley will probably make the rounds and, and might make an appearance or two in the crew locker room that remains to be seen but um you know it was a guy stating his opinion and then yeah. in response to your second question about the stadium plan i think that was uh, an effort by a, a leadership member in, in the columbus foundation just to get the conversation started mm-hmm. um obviously there wasn't a whole lot of communication back and forth with the county on you know, public dollars to be used, or even the Abbott Lab site, which was the, the proposed site. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's likely we'll see more of those in the coming months, but I think it was something where this is a, a city leader that wanted to get the conversation started before the playoff game, um, even if he didn't necessarily have all of his ducks in a row. So I think I think we'll see when it comes to Columbus Stadium sites. Oh, fantastic. Well, let's wrap up with this. Um, shameless plug. So where can we find you? And do you, ex- what are your expectations for this game? Uh, you can, you can follow me, um, at a Erickson CD. Um, and you can read our crew cuts blog on the Columbus dispatch website. Um, but you know, I, I, I've been trying to wrap my head around what this game will play, how this game will play out. And I'm not sure. I don't think it will be quite like the knockout round game against Atlanta United, where it was back mm. and forth the entire game, completely open, both teams with, with several great and dangerous chances. I don't necessarily see it playing out like that. Um, I, I think it will be... I would be surprised if Toronto didn't score at least once in this game. Um, so I, I think it's going to come down to can Crew SC break 
down that back line? Can they find a way um, to get Ola Kamara, you know, a, a, a one-touch goal or, um, you know, find a way to, to break down that defense? I think that'll be the difference. I think Toronto will get at least one, but can, can the crew respond, I think, is really the question. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. And uh, Thanks, Andrew. Talk to you soon, and uh, we'll get us some uh, – we'll see what happens. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time. What a great series that's going to shape out to be. Maybe it'll be an MLS Classic like last year's Eastern Conference Final. I hope. You better. I mean, that'd be MLS, fun to watch. I mean, the first two legs. I mean, the first two legs of both series were kind of underwhelming. No, I, I I agree. But now here we are, and I'm excited to see what's going to happen. So let's let's focus on the West because last week was heavy West. So we're going to briefly mention it. Uh, Houston going into Seattle, still never, historically have never won in Seattle, which is, you know, absolutely amazing. But, you know, uh, they beat Portland 2-1 on the road, so they do have, you know, some momentum winning on the road. They know when that is. This is going to be an interesting matchup because the 2 all the 2-0 hole is one of those score lines that you never want to be in. My first reaction after that game was over was I thought Seattle had one and a half, one foot in and half of the other foot into the MLS Cup. Yeah. Um, and that's just that was my initial reaction. I mean, once you look into it, I mean, yeah, Houston has the opportunity to, but I'm gonna be quite frank with you, a team like Seattle at their home, I, I don't think. I really don't think that Houston can come back. And maybe I'm being negative. I mean, I chose Houston to go to MLS Cup, so I'm a little sad I'm not going. <laughs> but, you know, but you know, I mean, if they don't go. But I, I, it it just doesn't seem meant to be this year. For Houston, yeah, I agree. Yeah, for Houston. I mean, for Se- I think we're going to head to the inevitable Seattle-Toronto rematch. I, I do agree. Um, some interesting names missing from Seattle's perspective. Roman Torres, double yellow cards, will be on the bench. So that partnership with Chad Marshall is going to be interesting. Then we have you know the, the goalkeeping situation. Stefan Fry, uh, hamstring. Will it be good enough to play? Uh, Houston's going to bring an onslaught, so you better have a goalkeeper who is going to be available to do what goalkeepers do. And not have somebody with a tight hamstring because a tight hamstring could could really hinder movement, especially for a goalkeeper. And uh, the see, the Sounders, you know, one home defeat this season, a one nail loss at Toronto, May six, including playoffs, won the last four, um, for a combined score of twelve nothing. So Seattle's hot at home. CenturyLink is a difficult place. It's a difficult place to play. Uh, my my thought process go, uh, going through the series was I really if I was Houston you really want to get that zero zero draw at home or at one zero win or something like that I just I yeah. don't see them coming back in any way shape or form even though they're le- they're lethal I don't th- they won't have Elise they won't have Elise either he's suspended as well 
it's 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 not good. Uh, you're gonna look at Manotas and Torres to and Kubo Torres to give you production, and um, Manotas started by himself. And we're us and Corey were talking about who do you think was better. I mean, they need they need an absolute a brilliant performance if they win this match. I would be scared of whoever team they're playing in MLS Cup. Well, I mean, they like, could win this match one nothing. Remember, it is a well, two hole lead. Win, win the win the series. Win the series. Okay, win the, win the series. Yeah, no, I don't. I just don't see it happening. I don't either. Like I think Seattle is too poised. They 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 have the momentum. Clint Dempsey's been a boss. He has shown his worth. Um, it's funny. I Clint Dempsey doesn't get the same hatred as Josie Outdoor Michael Bradley get. It's because he, he. It's because it's Clint Dempsey. You know. Coming from a Nacogdoches, Texas, two-hour drive practice every day, I think people people relate to that a he's lot. That, he's that blue but, collar, hard But back to the series, how shocked would you be if Houston was able to pull out a uh, victory in the series? In the se- like before the series had started, both. But well, before the series, I thought Houston had the fair shot. They just took down Portland. They 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 historically have done well in the playoffs. They have the most conference appearances in the last, I think, decade or something. You know, higher than the LA Galaxy. They've hosted two cups, lost two cups. So the the name of the Houston Dynamo, there's historic value to it in a brief historic ten years, right? You know, you would, um, but. I thought they had a fair shot. I didn't think the first leg depended if Houston could have gotten a goal or just would. And they didn't get that red card with Anababa with the dog so denial of a goal scoring opportunity. I mean, I think that just flipped the game yeah. on. No, head. it did. And and Seattle could have had the the chance to, or Houston could have had the chance. To, okay, maybe even if it was a zero zero draw, they still would have had a chance, right? But the zero zero draw almost gives an advantage to the away team because all he needs one all he needs one goal. One goal and then you and flip the home the game. team is two. Exactly, yep. exactly. I think I think one player you need to watch out for. He's been relied on countless many a times. Ageless wonder, Vicente Sanchez. He came on after Dallas made a huge impact. He uh make, makes huge impact is when he comes off the bench. I expect yep. him if they're down to 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 play. Um also be be on the lookout. You're gonna have uh you're gonna need a Big performance from the front three, and it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be a little different. It's gonna be a little different, but I mean, my thought is I think Seattle's probably through some less cup. All right, I prediction times uh, for me. It's Seattle. He just said Seattle. It's gonna be Toronto. We're gonna see a rematch. That's my prediction. Armand, my my my, my prediction. Uh, it's looking like the same, although a lot of karma has been on uh, hashtag Save the Crew. Yeah, we'll see how that uh, works out. I I I. I think they're starting to lose some of that karma, just a little bit, and um, especially with the recent developments coming out of the uh, the uh, city and whatnot. Um, but I do think we are headed to a Toronto Seattle MLS Cup final. Listeners, once we figure out what the final is, we are going to have a show filled week for you guys leading up to MLS Cup and. May I have a surprise? Maybe a live show? Maybe a live show. Maybe a live preview show. And if we can get it correct, we'd love to have comments set in, questions. We'll have, and, we'll have and, guests coming I mean, on. So. Yeah, we'll have guests, all that stuff. And uh, there's a potential, uh, like a 2% chance that I might go to MLS Cup. <laughs> if 2% if in, chance. There's if it's those... in Columbus, I might go. Just saying. For me, there's a 0.002% chance. 
But, uh, you know, anything is possible, right, Armand? Yeah, and if I'm there, I'll be sure to give you guys a great coverage. And if not, we'll still give you the best, uh, best coverage podcast coverage out here. All right. Follow us on Twitter, Unksam Soccer Pod. See you next week. Duncan's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound. Not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.